Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to give a formal introduction of our guest co-host today. I am super excited to have her join us. We never take it lightly when someone says yes to our invitation. And I want to honor that by reading her full bio so that you can understand the accolades, the credentials, the experience in which she shows up to the space. Dr. Vanessa M. Perry is an executive coach, author, and thought leader in the DEI and leadership spaces. As the CEO and founder of Health Resources Solutions, she assists organizations in creating long-term transformational change through a racial equity lens. She contributes by working in partnership with managers, directors, and C-suite executives, all to help them deliver real impact to their customers and their clients. Dr. Vanessa has over 25 years of experience positioning organizations for growth by providing vision, strategy, and operational excellence. Working with government, for-profit, and nonprofit organizations, she has extensive experience in domestic and international public health and health policy, diversity, equity, and inclusion, organizational change, leadership development, and program evaluation. Dr. Vanessa holds a master's of public health degree and master's of philosophy in psychology and a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. She also earned a certified um, professional and executive coach credential from the Coaching and Positive Psychology Institute. Dr. Vanessa is often asked to um, give keynotes and facilitate training on DEI and leadership, and she's also a frequent contributor to Forbes. And so if you've been part of our podcast community, you know what we do at this point in time. We find those um, words of affirmation that we can place into the chat to welcome our guest co-hosts. We will find those reactions, those emojis, whatever it is, but help me to ensure that Dr. Vanessa Harry feels very much welcomed um, as we as she prepares to greet us. I am now going to stop sharing my screen, and I am going to highlight Dr. Vanessa so that she is um, up front and center along with me as we're going to be in conversation with each other. And um, Dr. Vanessa, I'm so incredibly glad that you are here. Um, I want to give you a chance to greet this audience, and I'll just ask that you know as you're thinking about what you would like to share. Um, perhaps think of something that maybe we would not know about you from reading your bio or from looking at maybe your LinkedIn profile. And uh, we're just so glad to have you here. So thank you so much. Welcome, my friend. Wow, thank you for having me, Dr. Nika. I totally appreciate it. So it's so funny when I was getting dressed this morning, I had on a graphic tee. <laughs> so I am a huge graphic tee fan. So when I saw your tea, I was like, I should have kept my graphic t-shirt on. And, uh, I love your t-shirt. Like it's so Thank appropriate you. for what we're talking I'll, about I'll today. Up so y'all can really see yes. it because this message Black is important. Black women are dope. And, and I wore this because I knew that we have, we were going to have a dope Black woman on today as our guest co-host. And so, mm -hmm. yes, welcome, welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. So, but I, I chose a more conservative shirt, but next time I will follow my instinct and go with my usual uniform, which is graphic tee and jeans. 
And let me tell you, we will definitely have to make sure that a next time is on the agenda. We would love to have you back at some point. So, Dr. Vanessa, one of the things that we like to do is to kind of talk about some of the nitty gritty, some of the things that have found its way into media over the past you know, week or so. And just to get some reactions to it, we know that the, those items are typically very much top of mind for the community that joins our podcast. And so there's a couple things that come up for me. First of all, you're in the D.C. area. So I want to ask about the air quality right now. I know that New York was really badly hit. Seems like it's improving a little bit, but then also it, it made its way to the Maryland and the D.C. area. So how are you doing and what's happening? Yes. So for the last two days, the air quality has been horrible. It's been in the like 160, you know, 180. I was inside for two days straight. People were back to wearing their masks. Fortunately, it is lifted considerably today, much better than what it was. I think it's about 70 today. So, okay. so we definitely appreciate that. Appreciate that. And it's sunny, um, but there's still this, I don't even know how I can describe it. It's a it's like um like a quiet, like in the air and in mm. very kind of unsettling so yeah. the rain will come it's supposed to come this weekend and it will clear it out and we'll have some more clear and clean air well i hope so we're certainly wishing that for all of the folks that are impacted by some of the the issues that have occurred with the the quality of the air um you know someone used the word eerie so as you were talking about yes. how the feeling um, yeah, and so I'm sure that is quite unsettling, but glad to know that at least we are seeing some improvement and some progress and um, yes, definitely remain healthy. So let's shift and talk about Florida right now. There's a lot going on in Florida, a lot going on. So where do we start? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where we start. Okay, so do we start with uh, our economy and the GDP and how much all of the immigrant population has left. So construction projects, yeah. any real estate projects have halted. The yeah. restaurant industry, the farms where the migrant workers were, you know, we're, we're not going to be getting oranges because they've all led. I, I literally read an article, one man said he has a farm and he's used to 300 people helping him pick oranges and he had five people and those five were his family. Wow. wow. Well, you know, yeah. one of the things that comes up for me is that I don't think that people realize that when these knee jerk type of reactions, you know, occur, exactly what the implications are to like the economy and yeah. to other things that just may not be top of mind. And so there's going to be certainly a trickle down effect that everyone is going to feel right. And so, um, you know, I acknowledge the fact that this is Immigrant Heritage Month and I, um, I really feel for the people that are being displaced and feeling like they they have to leave yeah. Um, yeah. in order to just be able to survive and feel safe. And so I, yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. It's very hard. And I think that just the industry overall is going to be yeah. hit very hard in Florida. I mean, this is obviously gonna hit their tourism industry as well. Um, and I know a number of conferences that are gonna be there, you know, this year, this summer and next year. Yeah. And it's it's going to be tough for them. But I also don't think that we really realize that um, it has br a broader impact for the country than just Florida. So, yes, there's an immediate impact. But when we talk about, you know, the gross domestic product and 
um, inflation. And if you recall during the pandemic, we had food shortages during that time yeah. as well because people weren't working. So I think we may see those types of things again coming out of Florida. And obviously that's horrible for people of color, for black and brown people you know, who often rely on seasonal work such as being on the farms or even, you know, just a tourist industry and things like that to survive. So them having to be displaced and going to other areas of the country to work that may be a little bit more friendly is, is very unsettling. It's very unsettling. Yeah. And, you know, somewhat of a parallel, I mean, different issues, but definitely a parallel in terms of some of the inequities and and just feeling like people can't thrive, certain populations can't thrive. We're seeing it with the LGBTQ plus community as well that are, you know, relocating to other areas that they feel like are going to serve them better than maybe some of the geographies that they came from originally. So I love the fact that you amplify these types of, again, decisions, and uh, it impacts not just that very specific area, but it impacts us all over. So if you're sitting back and you're not in Florida, you're not in one of the states that is finding its way with all of these you know, stories that are hitting the, the, the media wavelength, and you're thinking, well, we're kind of good now. No, no, we all need to care and have a level of concern um, to do what we can to amplify voice of, of, of reason and voice of, of humanity, voice of humanity. And so um, another really sad story that is um, unfolding day by day um, in Florida is the, um, the, the Black woman, the mother of four kids that was uh, murdered. Yes. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how many in this community are familiar with that story. So perhaps, you know, Vanessa, you can share a little bit with us. And then if there's, I think I remember seeing an article on CNN recently, maybe if the team can source it and place it into the chat. But tell us what you know about the story and your reactions to it, Dr. Vanessa. Yeah, so unfortunately, a, a Black woman um, was kind of feuding with her neighbor, the neighbor uh, who was a white woman said that you know I guess her children were too loud. Uh, the women, the woman went to Florida, uh, went to the woman's house to confront the woman, and the white woman shot her dead. And um, there was a lot of outcry because she was not immediately arrested, and um, she's claiming stand your ground, but she has since been arrested and uh, has been charged with um, either manslaughter or second degree murder uh, or first, I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, just a very heartbreaking story. You have four children now who have lost their mother. Um, and I think we just see a lot of this. This is There's a lot of this all over the country, this whole idea of stand your ground, you know, don't knock on my door, um, you know, I'm gonna shoot you, you know, we don't know who you are. Uh, it's just happening all over and it's very, very sad. Um, but I also think that we have to be very just careful and just diligent because we're not living during the time when we can actually just knock on people's doors innocently and expect that because we are black or brown or of, of another group that it's going to be okay and people are going to welcome us with open arms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and let me just, you know, interject that we don't highlight and share, you know, this news, these types of stories, because we want to dwell in the, the gloom and the doom. But this is reality, and it's happening. And there still are a large percentage of people that do not want to acknowledge the fact that race 
is still, uh, well, racism, let me say that, not race, racism is still a huge issue that is taking the lives of brown and black people. And so we have to continue talking about it, not talking about it does not make it go away. And so um, very sad story. One of the things that I remember reading about the story is that I think that the kids, the children may have been playing in the woman's yard because, you know, um, and then when she told them to leave the yard, the kids did, and they did quite abruptly to get out of the yard because, again, some feuding had been taking place. It wasn't really a really friendly area, if you will. And one of the kids left the iPad or some type of, you know, electronic that was of value. Mm -hmm. So and went to get it back. And that's, I think, when the feuding kind of started. And so when she went to try to say, I need to get my child's item back, you know, personal item back, she was shot and killed. Um, and so we have to, we have to acknowledge that this is not going away. And, um, and so I, I do appreciate a moment for us to just acknowledge that, that very um, hard story that many of us are processing right now. Um, okay, so I want to shift a little bit, Vanessa, and I want you to kind of tell us about your journey. Uh, we know that you have ample experience, and like many people say, you were doing this work of DEI before it really became sexy, right? And I put the air quotes there because, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of folks will perceive that this is, you know, something that's new and novel. I mean, it has evolved a good bit, but it's been around for a long time, and so. I'm curious about your journey into the space. And then also very specifically, I'm curious about what you're seeing or the main differences between kind of early on in your career, your 25 plus year career, when you were doing this work to what you're seeing now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I always tell people that I started out uh, doing racial equity work because that's what we called it in the, the mid nineties. So it was racial equity, you know, then it yeah. went to health disparities and we started off with, uh, I started off in healthcare, you know, working in communities of color uh, with um, the LGBTQ plus community, at the, mm -hmm. you can call it that at that time. Mm -hmm. but I worked in the HIV AIDS community and public health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, educating them, developing programs, you know, evaluating their programs for them. Um, and then subsequently went on into the government where, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, worked on the Affordable Care Act and looking at vulnerable populations and underrepresented groups and ensuring that they had health care. Um, yeah. And then it just kind of exploded, you know, from from healthcare to education to philanthropy to technology to financial services, and all of a sudden everybody kind of wanted to talk about equity. So you know the language began to change. You mm -hmm. know, I tell people that first it was we talked about racial equity, then it was racial equality, then it was <laughs> disparities. You know, so and like now we're saying diversity. And so I see this, um, what I would say is full circle moment actually in the work that I'm doing because I've been doing it for so long in which things are the same in some ways, but they're different. So yeah. the things that we talk about now, I mean, we know that of course, you know, 2020 came in, the pandemic came in. Uh, George Floyd happened and folks started saying, hey, you know, we need to make commitments to the black community, Black Lives Matter um, and all of those things. And I think what we're seeing now is a slowing down of people talking about diversity, equity and inclusion, slowing down um, of talking about racial equity in some ways um, and in some 
populations. Uh, but for the most part, things I would say are changing, definitely yeah. changing for sure. Um, the more they change, but the more they say the same, uh, even in terms mm -hmm. of the way we refer to it, is it DEI? Is it DEIP? <laughs> is it mm -hmm. DEI? So, um, yeah. so lots of changes I've seen them in my career and um, in terms of, you know, who, who has and who hasn't, those things have not changed, you know, the haves and the have nots. Uh, it is ultimately all about, you know, privilege um, when it comes down to it. And so we still have lots of work to do in terms of dismantling, you know, these systems of oppression and making sure that, you know, the voices of those who are underrepresented or, you know, that they, the, we're now the, the, the majority uh, of people. Yeah. Uh, global majority. Voices. Yes, the global majority making sure that our voices are heard. Yeah, it was interesting to hear you talk about the evolution of, you know, the the nomenclature of, of this work, right, and how it has evolved a good bit. And that has become um, somewhat of a of a tension point, you know, I'll say. And I, I, I use that language because I know I have, and you probably have as well, Dr. Vanessa, been a part of these discussions where it seems like sometimes it can become a crutch because people are so tied up with trying to decide how do we label this? Is it diversity? Is it equity? Is it inclusion? Is it belonging? Do we nix all of it and call it something different? And I feel like it's keeping us from doing the actual work. Yes. Like, I don't really care what you call it right now. Just do the work. Yeah. <laughs> Just do the work, right? Yes. Yes, yes, and, yes. and I think there's something to be said for that, you know? I also think that it adds to some of the complexity, you know, I'm all about kind of, you know, trying to break down all the complexity that can happen around this work. But I think that it creates confusion because people are like, well, everybody just got used to like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now you want to shift and call it belonging and just do the work. If you know yeah. what those tenets, those constructs mean and in theory and in practice, do the work. And I promise yeah. you, everything else is going to take care of itself. Do the work. Anyway, it sounds like you agree. So, yes. well, no, okay. totally agree with you. Totally agree. You know, it's very interesting because I think that the nomenclature has become a distraction. It has uh, in terms of what we, what letters we add. It's like alphabet soup. It's at it the is. end of the day, it should really be about outcomes and impact. At the end of it, it doesn't matter if we call it DEI, DEIC, yes. DE Jedi. None of it matters. Yes, we there you go. Justice on, is in there too. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. And I don't focus on the data. Let's focus right. on the outcomes, right? right? The impact that we're making. And then it doesn't matter what we call it. And so that is really what, what I am focused on. So I don't care what people call it. And I tell people, even as it relates to inclusion and belonging, they're actually the same thing. When you talk about the impact right. and the outcome, it's the same thing. So you can say DEI, or you can say DEB, it's the same. There's this whole you know, table of consultants that feel that we should just use DEB. But here's the thing, the impacts and the outcomes is really what matters. And that's right. what to concentrate on. And we need to center our work around that, not on the nomenclature. Because like I said, this nomenclature has changed and I foresee it changing again. Oh, absolutely. Well, and hopefully with messages and conversations like this, people will stop kind of, you know, buying into the change every couple months, right? And even like shifting the, the sequence of the letters, like, well, we put equity first. And so we say EDI. I mean, okay, just work. 
<laughs> to the work. Okay, I think that we have we have beat a dead horse with that one. Um, so I want to move on. I want to talk about your business um, because the name of your company is Health Resources Solutions. But what I know, just because we've been in community with each other for quite some time, some people may conclude that it's all about you know the health piece of it. But it's much broader than that. So give us a little bit of additional insight as to um, why why that's the case. I think that you probably started very specifically in that space. Um, but then also I want to understand more about your coaching and your consulting services. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've been going back and forth with the name. And so at some point this year, probably going to do a rebrand. But the way that I frame it is, you know, we started out in healthcare. But now what I look at is, uh, I look at this work from a holistic perspective and I look at it in terms of a humanistic perspective. So it's not just about health, the health of the, the physical health. Right. It's also about the emotional health. It's about the psychological health. It's about Love the that. health of an organization and not just an individual. And so the work that we do is really about organizational development. It's about leadership development and executive coaching and making sure that people, that we're able to increase the capacity of not only organizations, but also of the people who are leading those organizations. So oftentimes that might be around, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. It may be around, you know, change management. DEI is change management. That's right. the big thing that I tell everybody right now. Like if you don't understand that the DEI is organizational development and change management, you're going to have a difficult time with this work. So, um, so those are many of the things that we focus on. We focus on evaluation, you know, what, what's the return on investment for the programs that you have? How are you serving your communities? How are you serving um, your, uh, your employees and things like that? So it's much more than, than just, you know, our racial equity, diversity and inclusion work, but it is, it is uh, many other pieces as well. It's, it's really about increasing the past capacity of individuals and organizations to ensure that they are holistically, optimally performing. I love that. And you mentioned that you are considering, or maybe you you have the work already underway, like a rebranding. And, sure. and what I'll just offer this up for what it's worth, Dr. Vanessa, I loved how you articulated that when you, when you talk about health, it's not just the physical health, it's the health of the organization, the health of the person from a, a psych psychological perspective. And so I feel like it works. Um, so don't necessarily feel like you have to navigate from it. I just, you know, I, I loved how you were able to position the framing of, of how there's, there's multiple sides to, to what you focus on within your business. Now, part of your work is also supporting um, Black women, and I want to talk a little bit about that, specifically Black women in leadership roles. So what are some of your strategies for helping to empower Black women and specifically help them to show up as their whole selves yeah. when oftentimes spaces and places in society tell us that that's not welcome? We don't want yeah. your whole self. It is, it is very uh, rewarding work. Uh, I love my work with black and brown women and really empowering them to, to have a voice in the corporate setting um, or, or any type of organizational setting. And you know, oftentimes what ends up happening is you know, they, they experience you know, such frustration around um, the intersection of racism and sexism you know, what we call in the research arena, we call it gendered racism. And so, mm. you know, people also call it, you know, misogyny as well. Mm -hmm, but they experience mm -hmm. so much around that, you know, from stereotypes, 
you know, from the microaggressions um, to not getting the support that they need, not getting the mentorship, not getting the sponsorship that they need to not only survive, but to thrive in the corporate setting is really critical. So my work with them is really about helping them find their voice, you know, ensuring that they have the, the tools that they need to navigate the work setting, um, to understand themselves more fully, you know, how they show up to communicate in a better manner, in a more effective mm -hmm. manner. Uh, to approach situations with curiosity, and then also to use counter stories. And so understanding that this whole idea of who we are in the workplace is based on a story that people have. How do you impact that or how do you confront that? You confront it with a counter story and recognize mm -hmm. that we are all relational. My work, I consider this to be relational work. DEI yeah, is. is relational work. This is not transactional work. And so the way they show up with people, the way they relate to people, it's really about the commonalities and the common ground and how you can shift the narrative and have a counter narrative in terms of who you are and what you represent and how there are similarities and there are synergies between the, the two organizations, the two people, the 10 people that actually can help you work towards the common good of the organization. So it is, it is very meaningful work to me. I'm very mm -hmm. passionate about it, um, very thoughtful work because ultimately I believe that when Black women are safe and secure and able to show up as their authentic selves, then, then they can thrive and they can not only help their communities, but they can help other communities as well. Absolutely. I second that completely. Um, your passion is definitely showing as you're speaking about this, this topic and the work that you do with, uh, with Black women. Uh, so I want to stay here for a second. I want to just amplify two things that you just shared that I thought were really powerful. The first is um, the acknowledgement that DEI work is relational work. And I love that. And I think that's also part of the complexity that is associated with it because you know, we often are looking for something that's a bit more concrete in terms of the outcome. You know, it's like, well, we don't really care about the feelings. We just want to know what the outcome is. Well, the, the, the outcome are the feelings and those feelings count for something that's really important that has a domino effect across so many other um, dimensions. And so I love the, the recognition and amplification of DEI work being relational work. And then having a counter story, that's so rich. You know, I think that so many of us sit back and we just accept the narratives that are told about us and we begin to sometimes unconsciously succumb to them, right? It's like the self-fulfilling you know, fulfilling prophecy. If we hear something so often, we begin to kind of believe it ourselves. And so I love that part of your mentorship, your coaching um, is to help people to arrive at those counter stories and to be bold enough to, to control that narrative. Um, so I, again, I just wanted to amplify those really important points. Um, now you have a program that's starting in July that I believe especially curated that goes along with what we're talking about in terms of your, your work around women leadership, particularly women of color. So share a little bit more about that. So, um, so this whole idea of the executive leadership development program. It's really a, a half-day program. It's focused on um, you know, women of color and equipping them with the strategies 
to navigate the workplace. So, you know, communication skills, inter interpersonal skills, conflict resolution, well-being. I am really about well-being. You know, the whole idea yeah. of, I don't want us to just survive. I want us mm -hmm. to thrive. And so you, you will, in the coming weeks, you'll probably hear a lot more about, you know, Black well-being because there are a number of institutes, the Brookings Institute and Gallup have started this huge project of which I'm a little bit involved in only because I'm writing a book. But understanding this whole idea of Black well-being, what does that mean? And in terms of ensuring that there is racial equity. Um, so you'll hear a lot about that. And so that's really what this program focuses on. You know, it's it's the you know executive leadership, you know, development institute. Um, I'm hoping to uh, roll it out kind of on a monthly basis. Uh, it's it will be a half day virtual training initially. Uh, I hope in the fall to make it in person um, because I think that when we are together, that is actually when we are able to thrive and we're able to connect with people. Um, so there's that part, and then I think the other part of that. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, want to leave men of color out because I think they're important and I often think that they get left out of the mix in conversations. And that is, you know, just some of the conversations I've been having with some colleagues around being able to um, have different types of programs to support, you know, black and brown men in their wellness, yeah. because as we know, there's a lot happening around um, black male suicide right now, you know, Latino male suicide as well. And so making sure that there are programs that can support them as well. No, I appreciate that. And speaking of, you know, one of the things you and I were chatting about before the top of the hour is that June is, among many other things, National Men's Health Month. And mm -hmm. um, according to Very Well Health, statistically speaking, Black men live seven years less than men of other racial groups. They also have higher death rates than Black women for all leading causes of death. And so I appreciate, again, you amplifying um, the need for us to pay attention to this very specific population as it relates to their health needs. Um, I think that's big and that's really important. Um, I love Black well-being. I just, I love that labeling. Um, and it just reminds me of how I have, as a practitioner in this space, been in conversations with people who very well intentioned would question, why do we have to create so much separation around everything, you know, why can't it just be what it is? And so some people probably are listening to that and they're saying well-being, where everybody benefits from well-being, everybody benefits from being healthy in their mind, their body, and their spirit. And I know that you have a great answer to this, so I want you to articulate what how you would respond when people say that, but, you know, let's just unpack that a bit. Is there a need to have Black well-being conversations? Um, yes. What would you say? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because what yes. I think what people don't understand is well-being is actually a um, it is several pieces. It is not yes. just uh, your physical well-being or your emotional well-being. So when we start talking about well-being, we're talking about your education. We're talking about your socioeconomic status. We're talking about where you live. 
You know, we're talking about oh. you know, how you get to work, your transportation, your childcare issues, um, you know, whether or not you have to work at night, it, you know, how you get to work, how far is your work? What are you eating? Are there food deserts in your neighborhood? So there are all of these things that comprise Black well-being. And there's actually oh an index. Um, mm. And it's what we talk about. It's, it's called the social determinants of health. And so Got these it. are yeah. things that comprise Black well-being. And so when we talk about, you know, racial equity and well-being, we want to ensure that we're looking at all of these things. So as I said, there are a number of uh, think tanks right now. The Brookings just launched a mm -hmm. huge project around uh, Black well-being. Uh, the Gallup also had Gallup. Mm -hmm also has a huge project around Black well-being. You know, they have a huge amount of data on Black well-being that I didn't even realize existed mm -hmm. until I started doing some additional research for, for my book project. So um, it's very important that we understand yeah. well-being for, for communities of color um, because without all of these other pieces in place, if we don't start to break down these systems of oppression and, and address these issues, we won't be able to have well-being in communities of color at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were talking earlier about how the labeling and some of the, the ways in which we refer to different, you know, concepts um, can can evolve over time. When you said social determinants of health, the light bulb went off. And so, yes, now I'm making the connection point. So when we talk about well-being, that is holistic health, health yes. in all types of uh, in all types of ways. And so. That's, that's really good. And it goes back to what you were saying before, where you started to name some of the ways in which um, the work that you're doing helps to support people in their well-being. And, mm -hmm. you know, what it reminded me of is um, almost like a personal life strategy, right? <laughs> let's let's help you develop a personal life strategy. Well, I've been paying attention to the chat and we have a comment that's come in. <clears throat> I would love to just kind of amplify, and it comes from Patrick, and thank you so much, Patrick, for being here and sharing, but this goes back to when we were talking about, you know, the naming or the labeling of DEI, DEIB, JEDI, all the different things, and the commentary here is instead of DEI, perhaps focusing on company culture, where companies can measure such as ESG, and we're seeing a lot of that um, of late with organizations kind of having this type of work that really is also described as DEI, B work under the environmental social governance kind of division. Um, but publicly listed companies need ESG reports in order to get investors. That's true. So sometimes we have to think intently about what are some strategic ways we can garner the engagement and the interest of other influencers that can help us move the needle around this work. Um, yeah. Any thoughts to that? Yeah, so I mean, what, what Patrick is saying is, is a good point. And, you know, <clears throat> this is one of the things that I actually talk about a great deal. So, you know, the challenge with this is that if you put DEI under ESG, which many companies are doing right yep. now, mm -hmm. where they're putting it under sustainability, um, you know, because of, you know, cuts and things like that, and because of all of the backlash for, for DEI, um, it, it, there is the, the possibility of it getting lost. And so that becomes the challenge, right? Yes. You know, you don't want to put it under ESG or sustainability and it get lost, gets lost. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes about company culture or company fit. Because mm -hmm. when you talk about company culture and company fit, 
that looks very different yes. for, for marginalized communities, for people of color, right? So if I say, you know, we're not going to focus on, you know, DEI, we're going to focus on company culture. Well, what does that really look like, right? So somebody might say, oh, how do I know I fit in here? How do I know right. that I'm included here? Um, if we're just focusing on company culture and company culture is multifaceted. So it is, you know, it's inclusion and belonging, right? But it's yeah. also psychological safety. It is. It is. Ensure that individuals feel safe, that they feel seen and that they feel heard. And so that is often why we have to, we, we have to amplify DEI versus putting it under something else. When you I go completely agree. talking about the return on investment, this yeah. is what I believe Patrick is talking about. People want to see what is the ROI. And because DEI is not a metric, yes, often <laughs> like, well, well, how do we know that this is working? But here's what yeah. I can tell you as it relates to, to the metrics. And I had a, a really good conversation with a people officer recently. Um, in a municipality, the things that you can tell and the reasons why you know that it's working is because you have less people calling out. Your retention right. rate and your attrition rate is less. You have less lawsuits, you know? So these are the type, you, less payouts. These are the things that people are looking at. These are the things that you're like, your general counsel is trying to figure out, okay, we've got all of these lawsuits because, you know, we did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And these companies are having to pay a great deal. So when you talk right. about being reporting out, these are the things that people want to know. And if you put that under ESG, those things won't be highlighted. Yeah, I, I so appreciate this. And by the way, we are going to be shifting for our final 10 minutes. And so I'll go ahead and give like the warning for those of you who have some questions or curiosities you're holding and you would like to present those live. If you're part of the Zoom community, then you can just use the raise hand feature and I'll be happy to call on you and spotlight you to present your commentary, or your questions. Or if you just would prefer to place your questions into the chat, we'll make sure we continue to pay attention to, to the chat. Um, so while you're thinking of maybe your questions, I want to just lean in a little bit more into what you just shared, Dr. Vanessa. Um, this is a big phenomenon. I mean, we're seeing it left and right in so many organizations, you know, and I think that at one point in time, and this is still part of a lot of the tension points that I'm hearing is when people were moving the work of DEI from being kind of a separate entity like finance or marketing or whatever, and they were moving it under HR, there were a lot of, there were some criticisms there. You know, and there are pros and cons to that, but I, like you, I'm of the persuasion that I believe it needs to live on its own. Certainly, there needs to be a lot of, you know, strategic alliance and partnership work and collaboration because a big piece of it is the human capital piece, and that falls under HR. But it's not just about people. It's also about your processes and your operations across so many other dimensions and aspects of an organization. And so now we are, you know, here having a conversation where we are acknowledging that even when it's placed under a different category, like the um, environmental, social governance, that, okay, maybe it's being buried there. I don't understand why it can't just live on its own. <laughs> I, hey, I completely agree. Um, we're living in a difficult economic time, right? And in a, in a yeah. difficult environment in which we've got 34 bills across the country 
in just on higher education alone yeah. that are trying to do away with DEI that are changing, you know, higher education dynamics left right. and right. And so, and that's not even including the, the bills that are not in higher education. I'm right. just, you, you know, what I see in those, those areas, but I have people that are, that are coming to me that live in some of those states that have bills that are in their state houses right now that are trying to figure out if they're going to have jobs, if they're going to be able to continue to do DEI the way they've been doing it. And so there's just a lot of concern around that right now. Um, and I think that we do have to continue to try to be vigilant uh, and continue to amplify this work. Um, it, it, we're just in that time in which we have yeah. to. It, we're on a yeah. world stage right now. And I think what the one good thing I will say that kind of occurred in 2020 as a result of you know George Floyd is that this became a global issue. So we knew that you know things were happening, but now it's it's a global issue in which you see people in other countries are starting to deal with you know their issues around you know racial equity, diversity, and inclusion. They're looking mm -hmm. at you know anti-racism initiatives. You know I've got a a mentee who's in um, who's in London. You know who's in the UK and the work that she's doing around around um, anti-racism and she's trying to do and. Uh, it's just, you know, this is not the time for us to back down. I think this is the time uh, for us to continue to be vigilant.